0: All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Spent quite a time in Chapter 3. Uh, this morning's service will probably just go just a tad long, so bear with us, or bear with me, I should say. There's a, uh, you know, I couldn't help but kind of elaborate on the, everything that's happening with uh, Roe v. Wade, that was just such an amazing thing, so... Again, I'm just blown. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But as we look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has, remember, he um, just went through this baptism of John, a baptism of repentance, and obviously Jesus was the only one on earth who didn't need to be baptized. But as our faithful high priest, Jesus willingly went under this and, and, uh, to identify with fallen man, to identify with you and I. And immediately after that, it tells us, look with me at chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry, I should say so, forty days, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city, which we know is Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus finally said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And notice this wonderful phrase Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And it's kind of fitting that right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he would undergo these things again as our high priest. You know, Jesus wasn't one to just say, Do as I you know, do as I say, but he would say, Follow me, I, I am your example. And again, we looked at that last week, in the last few weeks, that he is the good shepherd. A good shepherd goes out before his sheep, and he does, he gives the example of what they are to do as well. How many leaders in the country, or in in, in history, actually, and especially religious leaders, how many of them lead by example? And that's a real (laughs) uh, encouragement for myself, too, And, and all of you men especially as leaders in the home and leaders in the community. You know, let's be those examples. Let's make sure that we do that. But as we look at this temptation of Jesus, as we just read, have any of you, have ever, have any of you been tempted? <laughs> I think we all have. Every single one of us has been uh, tempted in some way. And temptation, in its simplest terms, is really when there's an opportunity to do something that you know you shouldn't do. And temptation is what it is because of desire and lust. Desire and lust. What does it tell us in James? James tells us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Notice that God doesn't tempt anyone, but there is one who does tempt you, and that's Satan. But each one is tempted when, notice number one, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And number two, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin And then sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there's a progression here, isn't there? Just the fact that you're tempted doesn't mean that you've sinned. No, it's what you do with that temptation. How you respond to the temptation is what it is. And, it's, uh, and no one likes to be tempted or incited to sin. Does anybody enjoy that? I know I don't. I'd rather, you know, sometimes the temptations are like gnats that are flying around your head that are just annoying. And hopefully we don't cave into them. And sometimes we do. And thank God that we can go to the Lord and we can confess those sins and he'll forgive us. But, you know, no one likes to be um, tempted or anything. And we're tempted because we were born in sin. We are sinners by nature. Until the new nature of the Spirit of God indwells us, until then we are governed by an old nature. It says for us in Psalm 51, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And, of course, Romans 3.23, one of my favorite verses that pins me to the ground every single day. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the word all in the Greek is a really fantastic word. It means all. <laughs> not just some, not just for the elite, not just for those who have, are in church leadership. No, every single saint, <laughs> actually um, um, every every single person, excuse me, is... A sinner by nature, and our sin doesn't it? Our sin nature has enough rebellion mingled within it that we don't need a helping a helping hand. That's why the apostle Paul would say this in First Corinthians: "To beware lest somehow this liberty of ours become a stumbling block to those who are weak." We have to be careful. And we can either be a force for good, right? Or in people's lives, or we can be a stumbling block. And sometimes all it takes is just a little hint of something for someone to cave into temptation. A smoker can look at somebody smoking or smell a cigarette when they're trying to quit smoking, or maybe somebody holding a pencil close to their mouth as they're thinking and it triggers them and they cave into the temptation to want to smoke again. And the same thing for an alcoholic. They can smell a beverage. They can have... Uh, And they can cave in too by seeing somebody do it themselves. So temptation is a serious thing, and we ought to be comforted in knowing that Jesus Christ, our high priest, he knows what temptation is, and he knows how to deliver us out of its grip. He knows how to deliver us out of its grip. Let's go back to verse 1 now. Notice in verse one it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit after his baptism, after his identification with man, he was led by the Spirit. Mark tells us that he was, he was literally pushed. And, and God was okay with this, because even though Jesus is God in the flesh, in order to fulfill these things, in order for him to truly be the Messiah and to be the Son of God, there has to be a testing. Even though Jesus was without sin, we we needed to know that, that he could survive and go through the temptation of Satan himself. See, you and I, when we're tempted, often it's just our own flesh. Or maybe a demon is tempting us. But to have the devil himself tempt you is a whole different matter. But this wilderness that Jesus would be drawn to would be east of Jerusalem, and it's in the Judean wilderness uh, near Jericho, And it's right to the east of the Temple Mount in that area, and it's a very arid, dry place. And that's where Jesus was tempted of the devil. And the devil's idea, his intention was to get him to stumble, to disprove who Jesus said he was and who he really is. His intention was to get him to fall and to get him to sin, but of course, we know that he did not. This word tempted is pyrazzo and it literally means to test or scrutinize, to examine or prove. And in this context, it's especially shown that it's to entice to sin, to scrutinize, but with the intention of getting you to sin. That was Satan's idea. That's his motive, and that's his motive with us today. And there's a phrase that I love That you've heard me say before, and it says a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot cannot be trusted. Now that statement is true of you and I, but it is not true of Jesus. Because he was without sin. So if Jesus is God in the flesh, if he is the Messiah, the word of God, if he is God Almighty, then why would he need to go through being tempted by the devil himself? And the simple answer is that as our good shepherd, And again, our faithful high priest, Jesus defeated sin in his flesh, in his humanity, even though he was 100% God and 100% man. The mystery of their incarnation is something that still blows my mind, but the fact of the matter is he was both. But in his humanity, he underwent the temptation by the devil and he proved and he fulfilled his claim of his messiahship, the claim that he was God in the flesh. What does it tell us in Romans? For what the Law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, and He condemns sin in the flesh. Notice, not in His deity. Because if He did it in His deity, of course, there would be no temptation. I mean, there'd be nothing, but He had to be proved, He had to be scrutinized. And God the Father allowed this to happen to his son because how could he be our faithful high priest? How could he be our redeemer if he did not understand what, it, what we go through and we are tempted? Do you understand? That's what a high priest does. He brings the, the, the things of the worshiper to God. He's the interme- intermediary between God and man, the son Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. And so that and he did this, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And, and it's interesting in First Corinthians it says, And so it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a living spirit. What Adam failed to do in the Garden of Eden. When he, was, when he and Eve excuse me, were confronted with the choice to sin and, or to disobey God, Adam failed in the garden. Now Jesus Christ, notice in that verse, the last Adam, not the second Adam, but he's the last Adam. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, meaning when he rose from the grave, he received a new celestial body, which you and I are hoping for that upgrade soon. We're waiting for that. So what Adam failed to do, Jesus Christ accomplished. And what a mystery it is. It says in First Timothy three sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received into glory. I love that. Our faithful high priest Jesus, that's what he did for us. And then in Romans, what does it say? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because of what happened in the garden with Adam, that sin nature spread from Adam all the way down until Christ. And until you and I were born again, we were under that condemnation. Because we, we were born with a sin nature. And see, the, the prerequisite to coming to Christ is understanding that fact that I am a sin, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. It's in my nature. Animals have certain natures because it's in them. Why do the Canadian geese fly in a different time and why do they fly in the V? You know, Because it's in there. God made them that way. That's who the, the, he's designed them to do that. They've been doing it for ever since time began. They fly in a V. They didn't evolve and say, hey, we got to do this thing because we're victorious. No, they, they did this by nature. God put that in them. That's their nature. And our nature is sin. That's why the Bible says we need to be born again. And therefore, let me read that again because this is a great verse to remember. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. If there's no law, you can't be busted for it, but you're still accountable for it. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Notice, who is a type of him Who was to come? And who was this one that was to come? The last Adam. Jesus who would fulfill this in his flesh. He would fulfill being tempted as every bit as you and I are yet without sin. He went through it all. He went through it all. Don't ever think that, oh, he was God. He didn't understand. He doesn't understand. We'll look to, at that here shortly. But notice that Jesus resisted temptation, as we've read, especially here in Matthew 4. And we'll also see the disciples being hit with temptation just before uh, Jesus' crucifixion. Remember, in the garden, Jesus was praying with, Man, or with uh, Peter and James and John, his three closest men, and he went deeper into the garden, remember, and he said, Stay here and pray, and I'm gonna go over yonder and, and, and pray. And Jesus did, and he said, Lord, if it's possible for this cup, this cup of your wrath, to pass from me, let it pass, but nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. And that is a life that is surrendered, devoted, and that's the kind of life we need to have too, surrendered and devoted to Jesus Christ. And then he came to them, and he noticed they were asleep, and and finally, he did this three times, and then the final time, he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me for one hour? Peter, do you remember the boasting that you were doing? Lord, all these other men will leave you, but not me, you know. Nobody's going to, they they'll all leave you, but I'm going to be the guy with the, you know, the sunglasses and the, the things in my head you know, going out in front of you, you know, with my hand on the vehicle. Right? And he says, Peter, couldn't you stand with me for even one hour? Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise and let us be going. Notice my betrayer is at hand. And we know that they all left him. After he was arrested, they all fleed from Jesus. And the only two people that we know of are Peter and and John, who stood afar off and kind of followed afar off. But everybody scattered. They caved into the temptation. And even on the cross, Jesus, as our high priest, he took the full brunt of not only the, all the temptations, but he also paid the full price of our redemption without partaking of any kind of anesthetic to deaden the pain of what he was experiencing on the cross. It says in Matthew 27 that when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull, they gave him "sour my, sour, sour mine." Sour wine, mixed mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And the reason he didn't is because they mixed with the the wine a, a myrrh-like substance that was basically a narcotic. It would deaden the pain of what he would go through. And Jesus said, I want nothing to do with this. I'm going to hit this thing straight on. And he took the full brunt of everything, the temptation, the the pain and the agony and the suffering and the deep, intense physical trauma that he went through on the cross. He bore our penalty completely. And Hebrews 12 says that we need to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of on high. And in Hebrews 4, of Chapter 4, verse 14, it says that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yes, he was tempted in all points, as you and I are, yet without sin. And here he is, being tempted of Satan himself. Can anyone say, Jesus, you don't understand my situation? No, he says, I got it covered. I know exactly what you're going through. And many of you have suffered some difficult things. Normal, run-of-the-mill things of life. Death in families, death of a spouse, sickness, disease, setbacks, job losses, being overlooked for a promotion. All of these things happen to everyone. Those who are in Christ and those who care nothing to know about God. These things happen to us all. But he was in all points tempted. Does he understand? Is he there with you? Is he for you? Whether whether your feelings will admit it, whether you will even acknowledge that, is regardless of that, he is aware of what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. And yes, he does allow us to go through difficult things. Don't ever give up on God because he's allowed you to go through something horrendous. I've known people in this body that have gone through untold sufferings and untold things that I'm just like, Lord, how did they get through it? And their testimony is, but God. (laughs) Because of him. Because of their faith in him. Folks, let the Lord try you. Let him try you. Let him examine you as he examined Christ in this desert wanderings. He, he, He does allow us to be tested. He doesn't tempt us. Being tempted and being tested are two different things. To be tested is to see the value of what it is. To see the value and the the depth and the, the character of your faith. Ah, but to be tempted is something completely different. To be tempted in that sense is to be tempted and God doesn't tempt you. Satan will tempt you. Your own flesh will tempt you. But God does not tempt you to entice you to sin. But he will try you and he will Hold, your, hold you up to the light like they did in the old days. They would hold up vases to the light, to the sun, and see if those vases had been cracked before because they had a way of putting those pieces together and they had a method of, of, of mending those broken pots and pottery. And so they would hold them up to the light. Is this sincere? Is this the real deal? They were scrutinizing, weren't they? And God has the right as his children to hold us up to the light and say, what have I paid for? How you doing? And don't be afraid if you're broken, and if you're struggling, because He is your advocate. He's not there to destroy you. The devil wants to destroy you. He's doing a pretty good job of some of you. He's taken you out into the field alone, and separated you, and you've allowed yourself to be separated. Many people who used to be sitting in these seats have been taken away. Not all of them. I mean, there, there's a there's a subset of those who have left here that COVID nineteen, everything that happened, just they just they. They didn't sign up for this. They're done. He was in all points tempted. So, as we are yet without sin, and so much for the false gospels that have been found over the years. Do you know from the beginning, Satan was trying to discredit Jesus Christ? From the very beginning, he was trying to discredit him in everything, And so there were certain things, the Gospel of Judas, or whatever. And even uh, uh, Dan, uh, what is his name? Uh, Dan Brown wrote uh, the book The Da Vinci Code, which talks about some kind of supposed affair and marriage that Jesus had with Mary Magdalene. We know that that's a bunch of nonsense. Didn't happen. It's fake news. It's fake news. Philippians says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. This is why his temptation is so wonderful because he didn't do it in his deity he did it in his humanity it had to be done that way. He had to be tested like you and I would be tested, and yet he was without sin. And God has given us his Holy Spirit now, an advocate, the very presence of God in us, to give us that strength to resist. I've never been in that place before in my life. I always caved into sin. And now with the Holy Spirit in me, I have, the, I have a choice. And if I'm walking with him and I'm walking in his spirit, that's going to have less of a hold on me than it ever did. And continually, day by day, I can have victory. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, because none of us are perfect. He is perfect. We're going to fail from time to time, but I should be, as I grow older in my walk with the Lord, there should be a difference, a very marked difference from the moment I gave my heart to Christ until the day he takes me home or until the rapture occurs. There ought to be a big difference in the man over here from the man that was over here. And it is happening, and it's happening to you as well. It's called the process of sanctification. I love it. So Satan, when we consider this, he is not omnipresent. God himself is omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omni, and omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. I think I said those, omni, uh, yeah, I got it. Omnipresent, omni, omnipotent, and omnipotent. What's the word I'm missing? Omniscient. Yes, omniscient. He's all—he knows all things. That's what science is. You observe something, you go, "Hey, look! It, it proves itself." That's science. What you view is science. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But most of us, when we are tempted, are tempted of our flesh, and maybe even tempted by a devil or a demon. I believe Satan reserves the biggest challenges to himself. I'm no match. You know, uh, in my flesh, I'm, I'm no match uh, to the devil. He would take me out in a heartbeat if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. But he reserves the big guy to go after the big guy. And Jesus was tempted of the devil himself. And while we, not, we ought not to elevate Satan by any means, he is very powerful, never forget that. Never forget that. But in Christ, we are what? More than conquerors in Christ. Only through him are we more than conquerors. Other than that, we are sitting ducks as the world lies in wickedness right now. But you and I, we have we are more than victors. And just because you may be struggling with temptation, maybe even giving in to temptation, don't be overwhelmed and don't, by heaven's sakes, don't throw in the towel. We have to pray and you have to fight it. Pray that God would give you the strength to avoid and resist temptation. Isn't that part of the model prayer that Jesus gave for us in Matthew chapter six? What does it tell us? In this manner, Jesus said to his disciples, pray, and he says, and repeat it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And here it is. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Deliver us from temptation. Notice verse 2 in our text. He says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I should say so. Fasting for 40 days does something really crazy to your body. I've never fasted for 40 days. And if you're going to fast for 40 days, you better see your doctor because you better be careful, especially if you're, uh, um, uh, you can't go without water that long. But you better be careful. But Jesus did. The first three, or three to five days are the worst when fasting. And I would encourage you to fast as, you, as the Lord leads you. We fast to get rid of all the noise in our life, all the distractions, and we devote our time to him. The first three to five days are the worst. And then there's something really strange that happens around the fifth day. You, all of a sudden, you're, you lose the desire to eat. Your body just says, oh, you're not going to feed me? Fine. Fine. I'm going to go on holiday. (laughs) And then it's quiet for a while. But at different times, it starts to surge again. And can you imagine Jesus? And it says, when the tempter, verse 3, came to him, notice the tempter. He came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Notice it wasn't until Jesus became weaker in the flesh that Satan came to him. Notice that it wasn't some lesser demonic being. It was the devil himself. And the devil would not allow a lesser to attempt to best the Son of God. And this was a privilege that he desired for his own self. And folks, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Are you aware of that? What you see around you in the streets of our country right now, do you understand that this is a spiritual battle? As you pray for the things that we've been praying for, and you've seen all hell break loose, do you understand that that's just a physical representation of what's happening in the spiritual realm? We are in a spiritual battle. Notice the tempter came to him. This word tempter is used as a noun here in verse 3. It's the same exact word that we saw in verse 1, except it was used as a, as a, a verb there. But the word if is interesting because it can literally mean since. So this verse could literally be read, since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And the devil knew who he was dealing with, unlike many people today and even unlike some Christians. The devil knows precisely who Jesus was and is, but he chooses to willingly disobey and disdain him, but there is no dispute in Satan's mind who this is. It tells us even in James, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. He says, since you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He knows our weaknesses but you don't need to fear him. But he does know our weaknesses. I believe this. I believe he studies our ways of doing things, our patterns, our propensities, our secret struggles. The devil knows a great deal, but he is not omniscient like God, but he is incredibly intelligent. He knows information about us and about our family histories. He knows the trigger points and those things that bother us. He knows the past extremely well, but he does not know the future Only those things that God would allow him to know about the future. Those are the only things he knows. But he knows the past very well. That's why if you've ever gone to a psychic, I don't encourage you to do that, by the way, but Key West is full of them. On every corner, practically. But a psychic knows a lot about our past, but are inaccurate concerning the future. And why is that? Because they are not channeling God, they are channeling demonic spirits. And demons only know the past really, really well. They know the past very well. They know what you have been up to. They know the things that you struggle with. And these psychics are channeling demons and they know these things and they want to instill trust in you to get you to do things outside of the will of God. So Satan finally hits Jesus in this very basic way in his need for food and he was getting him to cave in to the lust of the flesh, wasn't he? To handle this desire, this natural need for food, but to do it in a way not that God would want you to do. Just, just do it. Just, you can do this. Jesus, you, 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 you created everything. You spoke everything into existence. I mean, what's the big deal? Turn these into some Italian loaves. Oh, the butter over the top and you crunch. You know that. Just do it. Remember that Satan is not a fair fighter either, and he's not a gentleman. He will do whatever it takes. He'll break all the rules of engagement to get you to fail. And it wasn't bad that Jesus was hungry, it was just that Satan wanted him to satisfy that need in a wrong way. He wanted Jesus to act in his deity to satisfy his flesh, and Jesus would have none of it. And Satan, remember, is a master manipulator. Are you a manipulator? manipulating is not love is it it's coercion it's not giving the other person a choice and often manipulation is done under under the guise of do it now this opportunity is going to pass you up and if you miss it it'll never come back and there's always this sense of urgency you got to do it now and there's great pressure and oftentimes that's when we cave but trust me Whenever you're in that position, you'd better stop because people make their worst mistakes when they're under pressure and when they feel manipulated by somebody. It's just not right to do. And manipulation is something that's the exact opposite of what we read in 1 Corinthians 13 because what does it tell us? That love, agape, suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It, it, it doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. And here it is. It does not seek its own that verb does not seek its own what that literally means is it doesn't demand something from someone and isn't that what manipulation is you're manipulating you're causing subtly or not so subtly you're trying to control somebody else and i can smell manipulation a mile away cuz i had a stepfather who who did that so greatly And I I vowed in my heart, I'm like, Lord, I never want to try to manipulate anybody. And if you find me trying to manipulate any of you for anything, you call me on it because, you know what, it's either God or it's not. I'm not going to try to get you to do anything unless God wants you to do it. I never want to be the type of person that manipulates. I don't manipulate my daughter. I don't give her some guilt trip to make her do stuff. I let the Lord guide and I pray. (laughs) I don't manipulate. I don't try to coerce somebody to do something. And if you're that kind of person who manipulates people, you're doing the devil's work and you're not doing God's work. And people are easily manipulated by those whom they look up to or admire. And so if you're in a position of leadership in anything, you'd better be careful how you treat people. Don't you manipulate them. You love them. Give them the opportunity to make the decision themselves, to make the choice themselves. Anything less than that is manipulation. People do it all the time. We cannot be manipulators. And this is exactly what the devil is doing to do with Jesus. Manipulating him. Oh, if you're the son of God, or since you're the son of God, oh, big deal. Just turn these into some, you know, chabalas and break that thing open, dip it in the vinegar. And the balsamic vinegar, and the olive oil—oh, it's so good! Drips down the beard. Really wonderful, Jesus. You can do it right now. Aren't you hungry? And I'm sure the devil—you know—if he could, he'd be sitting there in a in a a lawn chair, and and probably in a some kind of you know hammock, you know, feeding himself. Wouldn't this be really good right about now, Jesus? (laughs) Get thee far away from me, Satan. Jesus would say. But notice how Jesus answered. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice the first of three attacks that we see here. Satan leveled this toward Jesus and notice Jesus' response. It was in the context of the Israelites during their desert wandering. Go figure, Jesus is in his desert period, being tempted, and he, he relates to the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, all three of these different temptations are all from the book of Deuteronomy during that time when Israel was being tested in the desert. And, and it tells us in Deuteronomy 8, verse, 13, or 8 verse uh, 3, that very same thing, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Satan is wanting Jesus to act outside of the will of God and his deity and fulfill his needs. And remember, the ends never justify the means. The ends never justify the means. So when the devil took him up then into the holy city, which we know as Jerusalem, he set him on the pinnacle which is the southeastern corner of the Temple Mount. It's still there today, but the valley was much deeper then than it is now. But he took him up on this pinnacle, and whether he did that through some kind of spiritual vision, or whether he physically did it, we don't really know, and it really doesn't matter. But notice what Satan said in verse 6. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And notice first Satan misquotes Psalm 91 and he also takes it out of context notice Psalm 91 I'd encourage you to look at this on your own but basically Satan quoted those two verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91 but he left out a very important phrase to keep you in all of your ways that's a big deal if the angels were to keep him in all of his ways, they would also be testing God and also Jesus would be acting in presumption. Satan took this passage out of context, use it as the means of, to cause Jesus to give in to what? The pride of life. And remember, you look at this psalm, and all the the, the bases, the the basis of all the benefits and the graces of God that are in this psalm are because, are for the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, which Jesus is and was. And someone who is submitted to God as Jesus was was not going to test God to get him to do something miraculous. And, and and then put God in the seat of being the one who is being judged, and isn't that a horrible thing that people do that you see religious or you see uh, school education uh, all around our country now putting God on trial, removing him from the schools, removing him, and, and then infiltrating with all of this nonsense that they're doing, and then they put God on trial. Well, let me tell you something, educators. For those of you who may be listening or hearing this and on your way to work, you better be careful. Because God is going to hold you accountable for what you have done with these kids. Jesus said, offenses will come, but woe by who they come. It would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you to be cast in the depths of the sea than you should harm any one of these little ones. I think God likes kids. And I think he's really excited about Roe v. Wade being overturned. He loves kids, he loves people, and he especially loves the innocent. And those kids in the public schools in Penfield are innocent. But notice this extreme presumption on Satan's part. Jump off and notice in verse 13. You, 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 don't, you don't have to turn there. Let me just show it to you. So, Satan tries to get him to act in presumption, but he doesn't read the very next verse in verse 13 of 91 of Psalm 91 because you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Yes, <laughs> his day's coming. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? Can I get an amen? His day is coming. His goose is cooked in Jesus' name, not in my name, in his name. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Notice this is the second time that Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Mesa. And again, verse 8, the devil took him into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Again, how did he do this? I have no idea. But God and, and these beings have the ability, evidently, to do this, especially Satan. And he said, all these things I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. That's all that Satan has ever wanted. I will ascend above the throne of God. I will do this. I will do that. The five wills of Isaiah 14. He's always wanted to be worshipped, and he says, you know, just bow the knee once, Jesus. But before you do it, I want to get CNN and Fox News and everybody here and MSNBC, and I want them all here, all right, now's the time, bow the knee and confess your devotion to me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, it's all yours. Notice Jesus doesn't come, he doesn't refute him and say, uh, no, did you ever read Psalm 24? The heavens declare, or I'm sorry, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. That is truth, by the way, but what Adam surrendered in the garden, now he has control, Satan does, over the entire world. And the Bible makes no qualms about that. That is true. That's why the second coming of Christ is going to be so glorious. When he comes, the mountain that's fashioned without hands is going to smash every kingdom to powder. See ya. Right? Isn't that what it says? So... Satan was trying to get him to engage in the lust of the eyes by offering him all the kingdoms and the world if he would only worship him. And he was inferring that there would be no need to go to the cross because the world would be his. He wouldn't need to go to the cross. He could circumvent the cross. He could do something else. He doesn't need to. Jesus, you don't need to go through that horrible death on the cross. There's another way. It's a simple way. It's so simple. Look, just worship me and I'll give it all to you. That's all you got to do. You can circumvent the cross, the pain, the agony, the, you know, being separated from God the Father, which, by the way, you've never experienced before. And, you know, all of these things, you know, that, that are going to come upon you. Just just worship me and I'll give it all to you. You can circumvent the cross altogether, but Jesus would not have anything with it. And he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him you only shall serve. As it tells us in Deuteronomy. So notice again this third time. Jesus responds with the scriptures from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. See, Jesus doesn't argue with Satan that he doesn't have the authority over these kingdoms. Because for a season, as I said before, he does. The Bible says that he's the ruler of this world. Jesus said this in John's Gospel three different times. And even in Corinthians, he's the God of this age. And notice what happened finally in verse 11. The devil left him and behold, angels, praise God, came and ministered to him in his humanity. God the Father looking on his son and going, oh my goodness. You were at your weakest point having, I mean, have you ever seen somebody? I I remember hearing somebody who, who fasted for 40 days. And you could take a man like me who's got some insulation and if I was to fast for 40 days, you would, I'd be skin and bones by the end of those 40 days. Skin and bones. Skin and bones. But notice Satan left, her, left him after a time of testing. Satan will leave us too after a time of testing because guess what? He's a busy man. He's got many souls to beguile and to entice. Notice how Satan attacked Jesus the same way that he attacked um, Adam in the garden. And he's assaulted through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We looked at all of that. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, if you can. But I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read it to you, actually. So let's just read this. Remember what it says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And this was Satan incarnate. Uh, uh, in this this animal this serpent and he said to the woman God has has God indeed so she, he's already starting to plant doubts in her has God said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden the woman said to the serpent you may eat of the tree the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die and then the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then notice in verse 6, and this is the, the point here, very similar to what we just read. Jesus being tempted. And now Adam, the first man, he's being tempted in the very same things. What are, so the woman saw, notice, number one, that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She ate it. And she gave it to her husband also. These are the very same things that Adam, are the very same things that Satan used on Adam and Eve. Adam, the first man. And by the way, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and now go to the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, within the first four chapters, you have Satan doing the exact same thing to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And why does he use the same stratagem? Why doesn't he mix things up again? He doesn't need to because they, they work so effectively. Very seldom do people resist these things, and especially when, in, you know, because we tend to forget that God, that, you know, that we might be undergoing temptation. You don't wake up one morning and, re, and think to yourself, Today is not a day that I'm going to be tempted. You, you wake up not even thinking about it at all, but then the temptation comes. It blindsides you out of nowhere. It happens upon you in a minute, and you're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't planning for this. Nobody plans that kind of thing. But notice what it tells us, even in John, uh, 1 John Chapter 2. Do not love the world, John says, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the things that Adam failed in, the same test was given to Jesus, but differently, but the same lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and he was victorious over that. So how can we avoid temptation Or what should we do when we are tempted? Are we going to fill Satan's ears with philosophy and religious mumbo-jumbo when he attempts to tempt us? Are we going to argue with him and and maybe talk philosophy? You know, did Jesus talk philosophy? Did he footnote a book from, you know, somebody's book when he came to him and says, turn these stones into bread? He's like, "Um, did you read the footnote in, um, you know, magazine this week? Did you read that? Let me quote it for you. Dr. So and so from Harvard University Medical Center said this No, he got right to the Word of God. What confidence do you and I have in the word of God? Do we have confidence? Should we have more confidence than we do? Believe me, there is nothing in this world that is more powerful than the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder between bone and marrow and soul and spirit, able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Is there anything else that is written on this planet that can do that? The answer is a resounding no. No. It cannot, and it will not. I want to leave you just with a few things here. Just These are things that I made up, and actually, I did this list, list in somewhat haste, so forgive me. I, I think some of these things could be combined into one thing, okay? But let's just go with this, because I had some specific points that I want to make with you. Some seven practical things on how we now can avoid and resist temptation. Just simple things. The first one is to make no provision for the flesh. If you're an alcoholic, stay away from the bars. Don't go to a friend's house if they will be drinking alcohol. If you're a compulsive thief, make sure you take a friend with you when you go to stores and have them by your side. If you have a problem with lust, be careful how you look and don't look a second time. Take your smartphone and get a dumb phone. And don't entertain those things. If you struggle with fornication, don't put yourself in positions where that might happen. Don't go over to, and be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. And don't allow yourself to even go to first base. Because guess what? You can't handle it. And neither are any of us. We're not supposed to. God created us as physical beings, sexual beings. Don't think you can go to first base and back out. Kind of reminds me of middle school, doesn't it? We weren't designed for it, folks. So why why make any provision for the flesh? These are practical things. If you know that you're going to go into a certain situation, just simply don't go. And don't act on, any, on anything on impulse or passion of the moment because when tempted, get alone and literally think about something else even if you have to read out loud or if you have to go for a run, a jog if you have to count from 100s backwards, do something else because trust me, in about 10 or 15 minutes whatever you're being tempted by is going to go away. And you know this to be true because you, if you haven't tried it yourself, you will find this to be true. If you can, when you're at the heat of passion and whatever it is, whatever you're being tempted to do, if you can wait 10 or 15 minutes and get your mind off that thing, you're going to survive it. But the best thing to do is to fall on your knees. The best thing to do is to quote scripture. Did Jesus quote you know, from you know, guideposts? No, he quoted from the scripture. Nothing wrong with the guidepost, right? Well, whatever. But anyway, so that's what he did. How are we going to do it? Put to death the things of our flesh. Colossians tells us in chapter 3 verse 5, mortify or literally crucify therefore your members which are upon the earth and he lists a few of them. They're they're big hitters because Satan is a big hitter and most people fall under these umbrellas. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, yes, even homosexual desires and covetousness which is idolatry. So how do we mortify the deeds of our flesh? The simple answer is you got to starve them and they will cease to have power over you. Continue. Continue to starve them, and each time you don't give in, it will be a little easier, but know this, that if you do not, if you continue in a sin, and, and you, I know this by example, if you continue in something, all you're doing is adding more fuel to that fire, you've got to starve it one fire at a time, whatever that temptation is, you've got to starve it and starve it and starve it, and pretty soon, you're not that's not going to have as much power over you as, as it used to, and that's by design. If we will obey the word of God, he will come through for you, right? And what about this? Abstain from every form of evil. The Bible says that in 1 Thessalonians 5. Abstain from every form of evil. Didn't Joseph, when, he, when Potiphar was coming onto him, what did he do? There came a point where he just decided, I got to get out of here right now. Because Joseph was a good looking man. I'm sure she was dressed to the nines and had all the makeup and everything on. She probably looked like a birthday cake. And so now, you know, he's, he's there being tempted and the best thing to do is to run. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't try to reason with it about, you know, honey, listen, your, your father's my boss and I'm a Hebrew. I, I love Jehovah. Um, this is not right what you're doing. You're not my wife. And then, you know, and then, no, you don't argue. You don't, you don't do any of that. You leave, you flee, and that's exactly what he did. The only problem is he dropped his cover and she had him at that point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're almost done here. Thank you for your patience. What does Paul tell the Corinthians? He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as as common to man, it 's common to man we 've all go through the same things, but notice God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond. What you are able, but with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it and look for those moments of escape. And sometimes it's just common sense. Sometimes it's just getting on your knees and praying to God, even if you've got to do it out loud. Go into the bathroom. If you're in a public place and there's some temptation, go into the bathroom and, and, and get into a stall and, and, and just pray. And maybe do it out loud. Maybe the person next to you will get saved. And then finally, or not finally, but to walk in the Spirit, Galatians tells us, to walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For if the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And Paul would say in Galatians, are they not... Excuse me, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then, number six, to read the Word of God. It's a very practical way to resist temptation. Read the Word of God daily and be a person of prayer. And finally, obey the Lord in his word. Don't just read it for somebody else. Read it with the intent of having it change you. Because that's the design. That's the desire of God is for it to get in here and to change us. And if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you've already got, a, you've got a, a, the, the Spirit of God helping you. You've got a helper. He's the helper. He's the comforter, the paraclete. He's the one who wants to help you to resist these things. And we should also do the same thing that Jesus did when the enemy comes to tempt us. We use the word of God. We don't use anything else. Church have confidence in the word of God. We get so comfortable and we've grown so accustomed to reading it that sometimes we get so familiar with it we we sometimes forget the power that is in the word of God. I know this to be true for myself and I know you're no different than I am. And we have to Really consider this because we get really familiar with it. Oh, I know that verse. Well, why don't you quote it? Why don't you stop right now and, and get down and pray over that because you're about to go into something. You're being tempted. Why don't you use, you know, Ephesians 6? You know, the, 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 you know do whatever you've got to do. Re- recite some of these verses that we're looking at this morning and drop to your knees and pray. And trust me, the temptation will pass if you are faithful to invoke the Word of God to help you. And then when you do cave in, you get mad because God allowed this to happen and God's like, well, what did you do? When you were tempted, you went headlong like an ox to the slaughter. Why didn't you stop for five minutes? Five minutes, stop and drop (laughs) and pray. If you do that, this thing will pass. But if you do not, you're gonna be like an ox going to the slaughter. So we've got a decision to make. Am I going to do what Jesus did? I think there's a great lesson here for all of us if we're willing to hear it. If we're willing to do it, not even just to hear it, because be doers of it. Don't just be hearers only, because if we just hear it, we deceive ourselves. We need to do it. So use the word of God, believe the word of God, trust in the word of God, and apply it, quote it, say it, and live it. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and I thank you for the patience of my brothers and sisters. And Lord, just overwhelm us with your presence today. Lord, thank you so much for this place. Thank you that we can fellowship together. We can hear the word. We can be encouraged. We can grow in our walk with you, Lord. Please open us up to your spirit's working. And and Lord, have your way with us today, Lord. Keep us safe. And Lord, may we continue to fight the good fight of faith along with all of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us, Lord. May we enter that heavenly throng This is the day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Amen. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.